Welcome to the Wednesday Night Bible Study. We're here in Central Florida. I'm David. This is my lovely wife, Joanna. And there's the Queen's Wave saying hello. And so we uh, have virtual church media, virtualchurchmedia.com. We also meet here in Central Florida for Wednesday Night Bible Study. And tonight's message is going to be fun. Are your traditions sending you to hell? Are your traditions sending you to hell? Don't go to hell for your traditions. Wow, thought-provoking, isn't it? Listen to this verse real quick. Um, it's out of... Where is it out of? It's out of something. So it's out of Matthew 15, 1 through 6. This is a New International Version I'm reading from. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Uck, I added that. Number three, verse three. Uh, Matthew 15, one through six, here's verse three. Jesus replied, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Are your traditions sending you to hell. Don't go to hell for your traditions. Jesus went on to say, For God said, Honor your father and your mother. Say truth, higher truth. For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what they might have been used to help their father and mother is now devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God with your tradition. Don't go to hell for your tradition or your traditions leading you to hell. Jesus said, you're to honor your mother and father and to take care of them. But all of a sudden the Pharisees and Sadducees said, oh, give it into the church, give it into the synagogue, give it into the offering plate instead of taking care of your mother and father. Thus you nullify the word of God with your tradition. Okay, it gets good for me. Relax. Does everybody want to say hello? hello? Okay, so we're in a live audience. Don't go to hell for your traditions. Mark chapter 7, verse 8, King James Version. Jesus said, You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. There's good traditions that are handed down to us, and there are religious traditions that actually nullify the Word of God. What's interesting is, do you know that nothing can nullify the Word of God? The devil can't nullify the Word of God. But there's one thing that can. You nullify the Word of God with your traditions. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The devil can't stop the Word of God from working. But the, tradi the traditions of men can. Isn't that thought-provoking? Mark 7, 13, King James Version, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down, and many such things you do. The Amplified Version of Mark 7, 13 says, so you nullify the authority of the word of God, acting as if it did not apply because of your tradition, which you've handed down through the elders, and you do many such things. One of the translation, the HCB, the Holman Christian Bible says you revoke God's word by your tradition that you've handed down and you do many other similar 
things. Micah 6.16 says, You have observed the statutes of Omri and the practices of Ahab's house. You follow their traditions. Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. This thing about traditions is pretty heavy, isn't it? Jesus spoke a lot about the traditions of men that nullify, make of no effect the word of God. Mark 7, 4. When they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. Jesus says, don't wash the outside, the hands and the cups. Wash the inside, the heart. So we can look good on the outside. You know, there's many people that come to church and they tithe and they do all kinds of wonderful things, yet deep down they've got real deep-seated issues. And when I sit down and counsel with people on one-on-one and we dig down, I find out many of the things that they do is to look good on the outside. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but on the inside they're ravening wolves. They're dead men's bones on the inside. Are you doing the traditions to avoid a relationship with the Lord? Wow. Thought and point to ponder. Mark 7, verse 8. You've let go of the commands of God. You release the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Colossians 2, 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Jesus the anointed one Jesus the Messiah Jesus the Christ the apostle said I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions that I passed on to you first Corinthians 11 2 wait a second the apostle Paul just talked about traditions that they held on to Yet all these others are negative connotations with traditions. See, there are certain traditions that are handed down that lead you into the presence of God when you practice them. There are other traditions that actually replace the word of God. This is how I'd like to say it. There are good traditions that are handed down to us that lead us into the presence of God. When we take communion, that's a good tradition. And it brings us into the presence of God, causes us to repent, come back into alignment. We take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens is we get cleansed in his presence. So that's a good tradition that's handed down. There are other traditions that actually replace the word of God. And we're going to get into some of those tonight. But there are the traditions that are handed down that lead us into his presence. And there's the traditions that are handed down that replace his presence so there's traditions that are the living faith of those that have since died and then there's traditionalism which is the dead faith of those that are still living peter lord said this he's the author of hearing god he said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing jesus is the main thing Mark 7, verse 9, Jesus continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. So you see this is a theme repeated by Jesus over and over again and again 
time after time, repetitively, redundantly, one after another. I think I've made my point. So this is not a light subject with Jesus. This is a heavy matter because he talked more about it than he did water baptism and the Holy Eucharist or taking communion, the traditions of men. Galatians 1.14, I was advancing in Judaism, the apostle Paul says, beyond many of my own age among my people when it's, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And he was out killing Christians thinking he was doing God a service. Are your traditions leading you into hell? Don't go to hell for your traditions that have replaced the word of God. Mark 7, verse 9. And Jesus continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Traditions are the living faith of those who have since died. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those who are still alive. Traditions can be good or bad depending upon whether these traditions are a launching pad to bring you into the presence of God that amplifies or reveals the word of God that brings to life. Or they can be bad if they replace the word of God and kill the word of God. 1 Timothy 1.5, King James Version says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, it is in you also. So there is faith that's handed down that produces life, and there's traditions that are handed down that can produce death. Matthew 15, 3, Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Matthew 15, 6, they are not to honor their father or mother with it, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Okay, let's give some examples. I have some dear friends of mine that love to do traditional things, and they're from other denominations of Christian faith. They love the Lord. They are born again. They're on their way to heaven and their names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. So I'm not debating a salvation issue here. But some of the things they do nullify the Word of God and it blocks the presence of God. Some of them don't believe that you should have music in a service. So they don't want any musical instruments. They will only sing psalms and hymns. They believe that water baptism is required for salvation. And so they focus solely on water baptism as the epicenter of whether or not a person is born again. The thief on the cross was not water baptized, yet he's in heaven. Jesus said, I will be with you. You will be with me in paradise this very day. So when I ask them about that, they're like, well, uh, no, he went to hell because their traditions nullify the word of God. When I ask them about what about a person who's not born again and water baptism is the outward evidence of the inward work which Jesus has done in your heart. They say, well, if they've been water baptized, they're saved. I said, so if they go down a devil and they come up a devil, they're going to heaven. Pause and reflect, no answer. I have other friends that love the Lord but they believe that their traditions are you need to be water baptized in the name of Jesus only because if you invoke the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're a blasphemer. So their whole denomination focuses around the name of Jesus versus the name of Jesus with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's whole denominations about that. It's called modalism. They have a tradition and it's a doctrine 
of men versus their focus being on Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, when I came unto you preaching, I came to declare nothing among you and to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my preaching and teaching were not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men's word, but in the power of God. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. First Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not in word only, but of power. That dunamis, miracle working, dynamite, explosive power that literally catapults people through the, every line of the enemy's defense and brings them through on the journey to the other side with victory. If you don't have that kind of power and instead you've replaced it with traditions, might I suggest you ask the Lord, what if we wanted that power and we were willing to release our traditions of men? Would you give it to us, Lord? And he would say yes. Those same friends of mine that are caught up in these traditions, what happens is they end up falling and stumbling into sin because their traditions have nullified the word of God. Therefore, they have no power to overcome. You know, want to know what happens when they fall into sin? They get under guilt, shame, and condemnation because the very traditions of men that have nullified the word of God has required them to wear certain outfits, do certain things, attend church so many days a week, do so much of this, do so much of that because they're focused in on their traditions and their dead works instead of yielding to the Lord and being sent by him out into the world. Do I always agree with my friends from other denominations that are born again? I love my friends. But we have to agree to disagree agreeably on matters and keep the main thing, the main thing. Because the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. Anytime you take your eyes off of him, what happens is you get off into the weeds and the power of God evaporates out of your life. When you keep him as the focus, you're in proximity with him. Miracles, signs, and wonders happen. There's a great quote, and it actually comes from Rupert. Uh, it comes from uh, Rupertus Meldenius, but it was actually quoted, uh, uh, attributed to Augustine. It says, in the essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity or love. So whether you believe in water baptism, full submersion, hold down three minutes till the bubbles come up to where they're dead to self and they've had an encounter with Jesus, if you believe in water baptizing and lemon juice and making them all, you know, sourpusses when they come up. You know, that, that's all fine with me. I don't care whether it's sprinkled, dunked, or dry clean. As long as the person who's going into the water baptism isn't trusting water baptism for their salvation, they're trusting Jesus for their salvation. Now, I like full submergence. I'm like three minutes down. Come on by. We'll get you water baptized. You'll have an encounter with Jesus. We believe in the resurrection. Obviously, we're, we're joking. But my point is, have I ever done a water baptism with sprinkling? Yeah, one time. The Holy Spirit told me to do it. And the encounter of the person who was six foot five had in the winter in Missouri was powerful when I sprinkled them with water twice in the power of God. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. It was contrary to my tradition. But I wasn't married to my tradition. I was married to Jesus. I was married to the Holy Spirit. And those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons and daughters of God. And if you 
walk with him and talk with him in the cool of the day, you'll have a joy and a power and there will be a light in your eyes and people will be drawn to him in you because that's relationship. Another time, my traditions were grape juice and matzo crackers because that's what Jesus had. <laughs> but wait a second. Did Jesus have grape juice and matzo crackers or did he have wine? <laughs> well, you know, when I was in prison, we didn't have wine. Well, there were some guys who made some prison wine called hooch. I don't think you'd want to drink it. I think it's just poison. Anyway, nevertheless, my point is one day the Holy Spirit told me I want to have communion with you. And I said, Lord, I, I don't have the elements. All I've got is, uh, you know, he says, you've got them. And I said, I don't have them. I had a watered down Diet Pepsi with a little bit of watered down Diet Pepsi in the bottom of the, the glass. And I had uh, a plastic cup in prison. And I had a, uh, oh gosh, what do you call those things? The chocolate with the ho cream. Ho's, tongue, oh, I, it wasn't a ho-ho or a ding-dong. It was something like that. It was a, a Suzy Q. It was a chocolate Suzy Q with high fructose, corn syrup, marshmallow, something I would never eat today, but I thought they were godsend in prison at the time. You know, just have some outside food and buy at the commissary. And so my traditions would not allow me to have communion with the Lord. But when the Lord called me to do it, I took my little plastic knife and cut off that chocolate Suzy Q, a little piece of it with the cream filling in between. Now, see, this might mess you up in your traditions. <laughs> but as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What happened was this. I got on my knees and I had my bread, Suzy Q, chocolate with cream filling, and I had my wine which was a watered-down diet Pepsi, and I did my communion as unto the Lord. It was one of the most powerful encounters with the presence of the Lord I've ever had in my 32 years of walk with Him. Now, do I recommend that we have the first church of the Suzy Q and the watered-down <laughs> diet Pepsi? No. We go back to you know bread and wine, bread and grape juice, whatever it is, makes you get into the presence of God. You can have all the perfect elements and never meet Him. Or you can meet him with elements that he changes in that moment supernaturally. We need to get set free from the traditions of men and get into encounters with him where we're changed in his presence by his spirit, where we're no longer the same. Have you ever been in a church where they all look the same, they all act the same, they all get up, they sit down the same? That's the traditions of men. God loves diversity and variety. You've also been in churches where everybody seems to be having this encounter with the Lord and it's all kind of different. It's like a divine chaos. You know, where we attend church, you know, there's, you know, and two plus million came to Christ last year in missions and people are being born again every week and uh, they've already won a million to Christ this year in missions. And so it's just an evangelistic church and we have everything from music to creatives to art to dance to flaggers and the presence of God just rolls in on a Sunday morning and people have joy and they love one another. There's like nothing better than going into a church and meeting people that you've never met before and you seem like they're your brother or sister for years and it's like a homecoming. The love of God is in the house and the presence of God is pregnant 
in the auditorium and you can get healed and delivered and it's just amazing but there are things that happen there that offend certain people's traditions and if i were to bring certain friends of mine into that that don't raise their hands in worship they would stand there with their arms folded a stance their nose in the air high enough to where if it rained in the auditorium they might drown <laughs> but this is my point if your traditions are keeping you from the presence and power of God are you willing to let him go or are you going to hold on to your traditions till the day you die and allow your traditions to keep you out of the presence of God for eternity well let's look at some other things Romans 14 1 says him that is weak in the faith receive ye but not to doubtful disputation so if you look at Romans 14 1 it's got a whole laundry list of things that people do that can become traditions of men one man worships God on one day, another one worships him on another. One man eats vegetables, another man eats meat. One man worships on a new moon, observes new moon Sabbaths and this and that. I've been around people that they want to argue and debate over the most minuscule things. Well, David, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? I said, I don't know. How big's the pen? They're like, well, David, you know, did... You know, did Adam have a belly button? He was the first man, so he wasn't born. He was created. Did he have a I don't know if Adam had a belly button. Does it matter? You know, but people will divide churches over their traditions, and they'll debate over issues that are non-essentials of the faith. So what is an essential of the faith? If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, it gives this series of things. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the virgin birth of Christ. Those are things that are essentials, that Jesus is God in the flesh, the water bat, uh, the, that, that uh, we're born of the Spirit. We're born again by faith, not of our own works, but his work on the cross. It just gives that laundry list of the things that we're to have unity on. So there's other things that are not in that laundry list. Whether you speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues doesn't matter to me. If you speak in tongues, it doesn't make you greater than the person who doesn't speak in tongues. Right. And if you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't make you greater than the person who does. It's who has the relationship with him. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Amen. But if you want that baptism in the Holy Spirit and you want the gift of tongues, it's available to anyone who will seek him for their prayer language. Other people have a gift to sing. I have friends of mine, our worship leader from Kansas City, Zenobia Smith, the Kansas City songbird, when she plays the piano, the glory of God comes in. I have friends from, uh, you know, friends of color that can just raise their hands and they begin to sing and the presence of God comes in. I try the same thing, nothing happens. My wife plays three chords at a piano and the glory of God comes into the room. I hit the same three keys, nothing happens because that's her gift not mine i can read one verse of scripture and the presence of god comes in the room because it's my gift she reads a verse of scripture and you know might be a little bit but the minute she hits a piano key or she sings a cappella in hebrew the presence of god comes in so everybody has their thing with god samson would shake himself and the presence of god and the power would come and he'd defeat the enemies some people sit stoic and be still and know that i am god psalms 46 10. I'll be exalted in all the earth. I'll be extolled in the heavens. And when they sit quiet, bam, 
the presence of God comes on them. Me, I sit quiet, nothing happens. I begin to read the word of God out loud, the presence of God comes. That's my thing with God. Your thing with God might be something different. But if I were to require you to do what I do to get the presence of God to come into the room or for the Lord to respond, it may or may not work for you. If you were to require me to do what you do in your relationship, it may not work for me. But we have entire denominations that require people to do what somebody was led by the Lord to do, and we made it a corporate religious tradition, and it made the Word of God of none effect. Do you know why many people in Hollywood were in the church, but they're no longer in the church today? I'm glad you asked. The reason is because the traditions of men snuffed out their gift from operating in the way and the style that they were designed by God and created by God to operate in their gift that the Lord would then ride on the wings of that worship with them. And so we make entire denominations into methods and traditions because somebody at one time it worked for them. There were the Quakers and the Shakers and they would get encounters with the Lord and they would literally shake and quake. And you wanna know what happened? People became offended by the Shakers and the Quakers, but it was a real move of God, and they walked in holiness. But other people came along, and they thought that they would mimic the shaking and the quaking, and it was just the flesh because the Spirit of God wasn't involved in that. I've been in services where the power of God came, and people shaked and quaked and fell out under the power and vibrated. I prayed for somebody several months ago before they went off to uh, Nigeria to preach. We were in a big service, and... They were just uh, praying for 88 evangelists getting ready to go into Ibadan, Nigeria, West Africa, third highest level of witchcraft city in the world. And the Lord told me to go pray for two of the 88 evangelists. As I walked up, they were graduating from their, 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 their 90 day boot camp and they're getting ready to go the next day and the long plane flight. And as I was walking up to one, he went to shake my hand. I said, I'm not here to shake your hand. I'm here to lay hands on you for impartation. And he looked. And I said, raise your hands up. And as he did, I looked at him and I saw the Spirit of God and I blew upon him. Just like Jesus breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. And I blew on him. And when I did, the power of God hit him and he went out under the power and he hit the ground. It was like a pile of feathers for him is what he described it as, but he hit hard. And the power, I didn't touch him, but I prayed for him and the power of God came and he began to vibrate on the floor. And I left and I went back to my seat and other people were praying for people. And, and so the Lord said, I want you to go lay hands on so-and-so also. And these are people that came to our Wednesday night Bible study. I had relationship with them. And so I, I had relationship to speak into their life and they knew me and I knew them. And I went to go see the other brother. And, and by the way, as the other brother was leaving, it had been about 20 or 30 minutes, he was coming up and the power of God was still on him. And he was looking at me, he's like, he couldn't talk English. And I said, you're having a moment with God, just relax, process. And the power of God had come on him and it lasted 20, even 30 minutes. It was that kind of powerful impartation. And as I went to go pray for the other one, I asked the gentleman who had received a touch, I said, please, can you get behind him? And as I raised my hands up for this other one, the Lord said, prophesy over him. See, it's not a method. Every, it's not cookie cutter. 
And so as I began to declare the word over this one about his identity and what he was called to be a higher level, and then I simply just put my finger on his chest, just barely touched him, and the power of God went down. He began to shake and vibrate under the power of God. And that was an impartation of the Lord, but I only laid hands on two of the 88. It wasn't my assignment to lay hands on the 88. My assignment was two. But do I use the blower anointing method with every single person? No. Do I do the two fingers on the chest with every single person? No, because it's not cookie cutter. And what if I had a blower anointing and everybody I prayed for, I blew on and the power of God came. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people get touched when the Lord directs me to blow on people because it's the Ruach of God. But when it's not the Ruach of God, they hand me a breath mint. <laughs> so sometimes you can get your nose over your skis, so to speak, because God did it last time. You think he might do it again this time and you end up with the breath mint. <laughs> but if it's the Lord, they end up with the presence of God and they end up healed, delivered, set free, impartation happens. So this is not a method. It is a connection with the living God. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. Those men dropped into Africa. They did uh, 10 days of prelim street evangelism 239,000 came to Christ with their teams over there and another 350,000 or so uh, came to Christ in the crusades I think they had about 350,000 a night in four services with the entire team but my assignment was only with two stay on your assignment stay in your lane and just because God used you that way with one or two doesn't mean he's going to use you that way with the other 86 that might be somebody else's assignment. Now, if you're over those 88, God may use you to lay hands on all 88. But just because God did it through them doesn't mean he'll do it through you. It's about being led by the Spirit. My wife had the blower anointing come upon her recently. I've been praying for her, for her to get it for years and would impart it, that she would blow and nothing would happen. But when Heidi Baker hugged her at Christmas time, Heidi and her husband, I think, have planted five or 10,000 churches in Mozambique. She prays for people with leprosy who likes to stick her thumbs in the goo and stomp on their feet and they get healed instantly. And she's like sought after, I forget the name of the uh, terrorist organization. She's number one on their hit list. They're always trying to kill her. She's about five feet tall. They feed about 43,600 people a day in Mozambique. And she's from the United States, Long Beach, uh, you know, California, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Heidi goes to black Mozambique, and she's a little bitty gal, and they're trying to kill her, and she's just releasing God's love. She'll go and hug a blind man in the city, and he'll get his sight back, and then the whole city will come to Jesus, and deaf ears pop open, and you look at her, and she's just this pretty, nice, full of the love of God, but when she begins to sing, the glory of God fills the whole auditorium. People begin to weep. She's just this tall, little bitty, but the big God on the inside of her, like Peter's shadow, shines out. And so we were meeting with her, and so we were giving her some gifts from a prophet friend of mine. And so Heidi gave me a hug. Thank you so much, and thank you for the gifts from so-and-so. Thank you for this. And she gave my, my wife a hug. She gave my wife a hug, and she held on to her. 
And she held on to her. And she held on to her, and I saw an impartation happen. I got a hug. Joanna got an impartation from Jesus. And as she walked away, I said, Joanna, you got an impartation. Something happened. I saw it transfer. The same way I laid hands on with two fingers or I blew, Heidi released it through a hug. I got nothing. My wife got the impartation. So that night, or at that afternoon, we went back to our house. A friend of ours called. And as she was on the phone, she was asking for prayer for uh, her son who had COVID, who's now fine. And God uh, had delivered him. And I've, I've shared this story before. But as she was praying, I said, how are you feeling? She said, well, I, I felt like I was having a heart attack last night. I said, well, what's wrong? We want to pray for you. I'm more concerned about my son. I said, we're going to pray for him, but we want to pray for you. And she said, uh, well, I've had a collapsed lung for 20 years and this and that. And I saw film clip vision of the Lord's hand going into her lung and filling it up with air. And I said, I just had a vision of the Lord's hand going into your lung and filling it up with air. And Joanna said, I just had the same vision. I'm like, well, we're certainly tracking. I said, if you saw the vision, why don't you go ahead and pray? And so Joanna prayed and I agreed. And then Joanna blew in the phone. But something was different now. She had the blower anointing because when she blew in the phone, I was sitting in a chair and she was about four feet away from me. When she blew in the phone, the power of God hit me and knocked me backwards into the chair like the Maxell commercial from days of old. Right. And if you don't know what that is, Google it or get on YouTube. It was a good commercial. You might be too young for this. Do your historical research. So I thought, my gosh. And I was like, whoa. And so Joanna blew a second time. She blew a second time. I got hit with a second gust of wind. For five years, Joanna was blowing and nothing was happening in manifestation. But after Heidi Baker hugged her, it activated something in her. And now my wife has a blower anointing. But if you don't have that anointing, you can blow and blow and blow and you'll get a bunch of breath mints. But the minute the Holy Spirit comes on you and activates that, people will get healed or delivered or set free. So I said to the person over the phone, I said, did you feel the power of God? And she said, I didn't feel anything. And I said, well, I know God just did something for you because I felt the power of God and we had the vision. And she said, well, I receive it by faith. And she got off the phone. Ten minutes later, she called back in tears. The Lord had filled up her lung completely and she was completely healed. Today, she is still healed. And this is five months later, six months later. And so we give God glory for that. But if I was offended by some minister on TV with a blower anointing. I would never have a blower anointing because my traditions would have precluded me from believing that God could move through somebody that way. And it would limit how God could use me. Are you allowing the enemy or traditions to limit how God can use you? There was a time the Lord told me to punch a man in the chest. Actually, to slap him. Jesse was a gang member, Mexican Mafia. We are in the cell. He had his hands laid, raised in the hair. He had been former Santaria, Santero, which is like, you know, a witch doctor. And I prayed for him for healing when he had lung conditions or something. And I attached the gift of faith for deliverance. And that night he went to sleep and had a dream. And an angel came and pulled a demon out of his back. And he screamed and he woke up. 
and he ended up giving his life to Jesus and he got filled with the spirit. So here we are in a prison cell and he's praying and going to Abashem, he's praying in tongues and the Lord says, I want you to hit him in the chest. I'm thinking, I can't like steal on a dude in prison who's a former Mexican mafia leader and it's, look, I get his hands in the air and I'm gonna hit him in the chest, right? It's just not, not good prison business, but my traditions and rules of code of conduct in prison were superseding and limiting what God wanted to do. So I kind of tested the spirits and I hit him in the chest like that. And he's like, Ooh, he's just praying away. The Lord said, hit him harder. I'm like, okay. So I hit him second time harder. And the Lord said, hit him harder. And so I walled off and just, bam, hit him in the chest. And he started coughing. And the next thing you know, he opened his eyes and he said, there's fire all over my chest, a fuego in mi pecho. Ay, fuego in mi pecho, oh my gosh. And the fire guy came where they didn't know he used to smoke cocaine. And when I obeyed the Lord, the power of God came through that slap on the chest. And faith was activated as I went all in and was fully persuaded and obeyed the Lord, not half-heartedly, but fully. And he was completely healed of all the lung problems from cocaine use, smoking it. And he got out and he started selling cars. He became successful. He was an honest businessman. He never went back to drug trafficking or the Mexican mafia, the crime syndicate that he was involved in. And it was the traditions or the rules or the code of conduct of prison that would have kept me from obeying the word of God. Now, do I run around slapping people on the chest hard because God did it that day? No. And by the way, I asked him, I said, when I slapped you on the chest, I said, did that hurt? And he says, oh, I felt the tap. All he felt was a tap. When the gentleman fell out under the power and hit, he felt like he fell into feather pillow, pillow of feathers or pile of feathers. So when the manifestation is present and the glories are and the angels are present, God shows up. This is what it says in the Old Testament. It says they tempted the Holy One of Israel and they limited God. They limited the Holy One of Israel in the book of Psalms. Do you know we can limit the Holy One of Israel with our traditions? You know, the last two weeks we taught on unusual manifestations. Unusual manifestations are coming. And we've had unusual manifestations that have occurred. I mean, where is it in scripture where you slap somebody on the chest? I don't know. I don't know. Many other things that Jesus did that are not written in this book, John 21, 25. If they were all written, there wouldn't be enough books to contain what Jesus did. Peter's shadow, Jesus didn't do that. But Peter's shadow healed the sick. They used to have to reach out to touch the hem of Jesus's garment. Jesus said, greater works will you do than these because I go to the Father. The same works that I do, you shall do. And even greater works will these do, will you do than me because I'm going to the Father. So when Jesus went to the Father, gave his life on the cross of Calvary's tree for you 
and for me. And he was buried in the tomb. He was raised from the dead on the third day. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And he sent the blessed Holy Spirit 50 days later at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all together in one accord. There appeared unto them tongues of fire that separated and rested upon each of their head. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other known dialects declaring the wonderful works of God. And this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel in the last days, saying, God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams and your old men will have visions. Even on my men servants and maid servants, you will prophesy in those days, blood and fire and billows of smoke before that great and terrible day of the Lord. Kind of like Acts chapter two, just kind of reading on, right? When that happened, there was a shift that occurred and the greater works began. Peter's shadow began to heal the sick and cast out devils. Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons began to go out unto the people. And as they would touch those handkerchiefs or aprons that had been on his body, there was a spirit of transference into the cloth. Just like when Heidi hugged my wife and held on to her, there was an impartation that went through the body, spirit to spirit. And something was activated in her greater work. When David Hogan laid hands on me, he and his teams have had over 500 raised from the dead in the drug wars over in Juarez, Mexico, where over 200,000 people have been murdered in the drug wars. And most of the pastors have been either murdered or martyred, or they ran and fled. He stayed and he leads the cartel members to Jesus. <laughs> When he laid hands on me, he said, you're like me, you're different. I want to reach deep into the fire, the river of fire. But then what's the river of fire? And he reached down, put it on my head, and I felt this heat come on. I didn't fall out under the power. He's laying hands, and they're falling out, and he's just staring at me with those crazy, Holy Ghost, bold eyes. Got an impartation. I just went to go hear a sermon. You never know when the impartation is coming. But are your traditions limiting you from receiving the full measure of what God has for you? Psalms 103.7 declares, God made known his ways unto his servant Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. The children of Israel knew the acts, the power of God, the demonstrative signs and wonders, manna from the sky, water from the rock, the fiery serpents, putting up a serpent on a staff and looking upon it and they're healed. But no, Moses knew God's ways. But when you know God's ways, his acts will flow through you. Unless you'd rather hold on to the traditions of men that would make the word of God of none effect. Holding on to the traditions of men that I might be accepted in my group because this is the way we've always done it at our church. We have a hymn, we stand up, we sit down, there's a benediction at the end, we shake hands, we go in one way and we leave exactly the same way. <laughs> or we go in and bobby pins fly, we go down and we come up different from the Lord, whether it's kneeling, whether it's falling out under the power, whether it's sitting stoic, if we go in the same way we went in, we did not have an encounter with him. When Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus, or Jesus met Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, 
And Saul fell off his high horse of pride when Jesus love slapped him. He went down one way and three days later, when he got his sight back, he came up another way. So yeah, Jesus did do that slap anointing, didn't he, in the resurrected state. I can just see Jesus showing up. Hey, Saul, bam! Knocked him off the high horse of pride. Jesus is he's blinded by the light. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. Guess what? There was nobody more religious than Saul of Tarsus. He'd memorized the entire Pentateuch by age seven. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Five books of the Old Testament. He memorized word for word out of the scrolls by age seven. Oh my gosh. He was brilliant. He kept the law. He was amazing. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the PhD alma mater. He was the valedictorian of the school of the Pharisees. And he was out killing Christians with the traditions of men thinking he was doing God a service. Are your traditions sending you to hell? Don't go to hell for your traditions. There's good traditions that lead you into the presence of God. And then there's bad traditions that keep you from encounters and the presence of God. So traditions could be the living faith of those who have since died. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those who are still living. Do not follow the traditionalism of those that want to keep you from the presence of God, but want to accept you into their fraternity or their denomination or elevate you through their school system to give you the degree so that you can now have a position and a pulpit to preach a doctrine that would make others twice the son of hell as you are. Are you following your traditions? Are you following Jesus? Do not limit the Holy One of Israel. God wants to set us free from traditions. Touch not, taste not, do not. I have friends who preach entire messages around their traditions and they tie the word of God into it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an interesting thing about Jesus. Jesus was a Nazarite. No, he wasn't. He was a Nazarene. Right. You know what the difference is? I'm glad you asked. Oh, by the way, Romans 14.1 says this. Him that is weak in the faith receive him, but not to doubtful disputations. So Romans 14 is written to those who are struggling over traditional issues. Touch not, taste not, should I eat vegetables, should I eat meat? Let each man be convinced in his own mind and be at peace about it. Romans 15 one says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So I'm just going to read this. Romans 14.1 Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth only herbs. Let him not think that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. I've got a dear friend. We go to dinner all the time. He's a vegetarian. He's only had meat enter his body twice in his entire life. He's got energy for days. He loves life but he doesn't eat anything that has an eyeball in it. We get along great. 
I'll eat a steak or chicken right across from him. He doesn't judge me. I don't judge him. And we have a great time. We've never let it come between us. And I think he eats great and he's fine with me. But what if I wanted to bring him into the first church of the brisket beef? And he wanted me to bring, bring me into the first church of the vegetarian. And we became divided over that. Let each man be convinced in his own mind. His wife is a cheatitarian. So she's a vegetarian that cheats sometimes with you know other items, right? And but she hasn't eaten real meat in a while, but one night we had meat, and you know, she didn't feel good afterwards. So she I'm going back to being a cheatitarian or a vegetarian. So for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him which eateth, for God has received him. Whether you eat vegetables, whether you eat meat. Just do it unto the Lord. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. So you can judge somebody all you want. If they're God's servant, they've got the joy of the Lord. You know, you might leave some of your traditions and try some of theirs if it'll help bring you into the presence of God. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another man esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doeth doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he that giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose, and revived that he might be Lord of both the living and of the dead. Romans 14, 1 through 9, 1 Corinthians 4, 20, for God, the kingdom of God is not in word, but of power. Now let's talk about Nazarite vows as we're closing. Jesus was a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. Jesus was a Nazarene, but he was not a Nazarite. The two terms are often confused for one another. The term Nazarene refers to someone who lived in the town of Nazareth, while a Nazarite or a Nazarite was someone such as Samson or John the Baptist who took a special vow before God and was subsequently consecrated to God for service. Number six details the requirements for being a Nazarite, which included abstaining from wine, keeping one's hair unshaved, and staying away from dead bodies. Jesus did not qualify to be a Nazarite because he loved to get around dead bodies and raise them from the dead. Interesting, isn't it? So somebody says, well, I'm a Nazarite. I guess you're not a dead raiser, are you? But if you want to take a Nazarite vow for 40 days, do it. Get into the presence of God. Get the anointing. The Nazarite vow lifts off because it's a Nazarite vow for a season for somebody. Then you get the power of God because you went on that Nazarite vow for a short season. Other people like Samson and John the Baptist were called to be Nazarites for their whole life. So we don't judge the Nazarite, and the Nazarite doesn't judge us. Because a Nazarite is not somebody who's born in Nazareth. That's a Nazarene. Is this helpful at all? Mm -hmm. After the time of the vow was fulfilled, the Nazarite had to present sacrifices and cut his hair, offering this as a sacrifice as well. From this information, it's clear that Jesus was not a Nazarite. Jesus could not have been a Nazarite since he did drink wine, as recorded in the Gospels. According to certain denominations, it was grape juice. Mm -hmm. In fact, Jesus' first miracle was to change water 
into wine at the marriage in Cana. And we assume that he drank some of that also. After the last supper, Jesus drank wine. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again until I drink from the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. If Jesus had taken a Nazarite vow, he could not have consumed any product of the vine. So do you see the difference between traditions of men versus the traditions of God? If God calls you to a Nazarite vow, do it. At the end of which, cut your hair, offer it as a sacrifice to God, and get back according to your business. Unless you have a lifelong Nazarite vow. And if you're on a Nazarite vow before the Lord, or a consecrated fast, or a vegetable fast, or a Daniel fast, or if God told you to cut out television, or radio, or whatever he told you to cut out, do it. But don't judge somebody else that is doing it. And just because... You feel the liberty to do it doesn't mean you'll always have the liberty to do it. I remember the Lord wouldn't allow me to watch certain television programs, wouldn't allow me to do certain things that other Christians in prison were doing. And I'd be like, God, why can they do that? You won't let me do it. He said, others may, you may not. But I couldn't judge them because they weren't called to what I was called to. Does that make sense? So don't turn your personal thing into a corporate word. I remember one time the Lord told me to stop drinking coffee. And I didn't drink coffee for like 10 years. Now I could have created the non-coffee denomination. In fact, there is a denomination that doesn't drink coffee out in Utah. Right? They don't drink caffeine, but they own Coca-Cola. I don't know how that works. It's like a Jewish pig farmer. Okay, and that's, I'm not picking on anybody, just, it's, I'm confused. Straighten me out. <laughs> but anyway, my preacher's job is to comfort the troubled and to trouble the comfortable. And to provoke you, to thought, to get you out of your stuck place and to get you into the presence. But if we get caught up into a personal thing that God has told us to do and try to move it out as a corporate thing, it becomes the traditions of men. And it becomes traditionalism. And we go on, we leave a denomination of the first church of the frozen chosen with our traditionalism that leads them into bondage, form without substance, form without power. And possibly our traditions could lead us into hell. Making the word of God, as Jesus said, of none effect, holding on to our traditions instead of embracing the word of God. Let's close. Lord, we thank you for giving us individual instructions that are confirmed in your word. And as we begin to read the word, I pray that exegetically you'll begin to reveal out of the word what we've never seen before, which has been there the whole Time We ask for the spirit of revelation by the Holy Spirit that you would shake us out of any traditions that we have. And Lord, I know we've got them. Because every time you show me something new and I begin to do it, it sets me free from religion. It sets me free from the traditions of men. It sets me free from denominationalism where we can agree to disagree agreeably. And we can be those that keep the main thing, the main thing. We can be those that on essentials, we have unity. On the non-essentials, 
there is liberty, but in all things we have charity or love. Pray that you would elevate us and shake off these things that have hindered us from rising through the Revelation 4-1 door of Revelation through you, that we might see things from your perspective. And we thank you for setting us at liberty that we would not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage like the Galatians were, but we would run the race wherewith Christ has set us free. And we thank you that you nailed to the cross the handwriting on the wall that was against us and you caused Jesus to become a curse for us that we might become blessed in him and walk in the blessing of Abraham. So now we shake off traditionalism and the traditions of men. We shake them off and we receive the crown of life that causes us to walk on the high places. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Those in agreement said, Amen. 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 Well, we will see you next week. I am David, and this is my lovely wife, Joanna, and there's the wave. And uh, we are the Herobedians, virtualchurchmedia.com. Visit us online and uh, also check out uh, a new video. It's called uh, davidshistory.com. David's history, all one word, davidshistory.com. And it's about a 10-minute video which tells a little bit of my testimony. We were with uh, Sid Roth Ministries at Supernatural. And so that just went live this week. And it's really, really well done. It was just something we did. Cole just sat in the chair and did it. The way they edited it up was amazing. And davidshistory.com is a fun video. And I think it will encourage you. And please share that with others. And if you want to support us online... As we get the gospel around the world, virtualchurchmedia.com on the give link. And you can help fuel us up and send us out. The gospel is free, but it takes money to wage war on the devil. Somebody paid for you to hear the gospel. Will you pay it forward through virtualchurchmedia.com? Anyway, God bless you. We'll see you next week. And also, feel free to get... Uh, Hope deferred. It'll help set you free. I'm David Herobedian, and I approve this message. God bless you. See you next week.